following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, welcome to Fathom Church. If I didn't meet you on the way in, my name is Chris Martin. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 8? 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. Uh, We do like everybody to have uh, a a version of the Bible in front of them. So there are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can open a phone or a tablet. Uh, 1 Samuel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Samuel. Nope, I missed something, didn't I? Did I hit it? Sunday school check. It's somewhere in there, okay? Uh, If you open those black Bibles, it's in page 230. So there you go. 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's good to be back. Um, I've been on vacation for two weeks, so, uh, and I just want to thank you for that. I, I, I mean, genuinely, I want to thank you for, for giving me a couple of weeks off, uh, be, because uh, this fall for us as a church, it felt really crazy. The run to get to Christmas is always super busy for us, and so it was good for me to rest with my family for a couple of weeks. Uh, here's what I did on my break. I snowboarded a lot. Okay, I went for walks. I walked my new dog, my puppy. If you, if you follow me on whatever the things are, you've seen the puppy. She's incredible, all right? I, I went on some hikes in the snow. I went for runs. I read a book for my soul. Like, not a book for ministry. You know the difference? I, I did a book for me. It was really good. I grew a beard, okay? All awesome things, okay? It was a couple weeks of awesomeness. I really just went into this, these two weeks to slow down and to be with Jesus, that's, that's really what my, my plan was. And listen to me, it's really, really good for your pastor to grow in his love for Jesus. You should be pumped on that. I'm pumped on that, okay, because it's not a given. And so as I rested for those two weeks, in the back of my mind, 1 Samuel, I knew that's where we were going. And so I just started kind of reading it and percolating on it and chewing on it and meditating on it. And I think there's a ton for us in this. And if you can't tell, I'm a little hyped today, okay? It's, it's been, I, I counted, it's been 23 days since I wore a face mic on this stage. That was Christmas Eve, okay? So I'm just, I, I, might, I might have to make up for it and go two or three hours, all right? I, I, I won't go that long, I promise, but, but, but we've got some work to do. So let's get after it. 1 Samuel chapter 8, I hope you're there, I hope you found it. 1 Samuel 8, we're going to start in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Okay, so that's the intro to this section in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel can really be broken into three sections. Okay, there's three kind of primary narratives or stories in this historical book. Chapters 1 through 7 cover the life of Samuel, the namesake of this book, the birth and the life of the prophet Samuel. Chapters 8 through 15 cover a guy named Saul, who is the first king of Israel, who we're going to be talking about this spring. And then chapters 16 to the end usher in a guy you've heard of, King David who is the the epitome of the kingship of ancient Israel. And so last January, we preached 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 7. So all that's on the web if you want to go back and and archive and listen to that. That's fine. But let me just catch you up to where we are at 1 Samuel chapter 8, okay? Rewind all the way back to Exodus, 
Okay, in the Exodus, Moses shows up to Pharaoh. Remember, God's people are in slavery. He says, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't like that. There's some plagues. All right, it gets crazy. They cross a sea on dry ground. I mean, there's this whole big thing. And the Israelites, once they pass through those waters, they're on the journey to the promised land. The promised land is something in the Old Testament we talk about a lot. And that's the land that God promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He promised this piece of land to his people, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants, to the Jews, to the Israelites. So they're on the way to the promised land. God's people are uh, under the leadership of Moses. But on the way, the people of God begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They don't like to trust God for their provision. And they end up worshiping idols right out of being delivered from their slavery. And so God disciplines them. He kind of gives them a little Old Testament spanking. And what he does is he causes them to wander in the desert. He doesn't allow them to enter into the promised land. And he does it for 40 years. An entire generation will not get to see the promised land, but will rather die in the wilderness. So then after those 40 years, at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses dies. His successor is a guy named Joshua. And Joshua is the guy who gets to lead Israel into the promised land. You can read about that in the book of Joshua. Follow me? Okay. But as they enter into the land, they find out that there's occupying peoples. There's pagans in the land. And thus begins the time in Israel's history called the period of the judges. You can read about the judges in the book of Judges. You following me? We're working together here? Okay, so judges. And, and the judges, the time of the judges, suffice it to say, uh, if it was bad enough, it got worse. If you read the book of Judges, things go from bad to worse. The theme verse in the book of Judges is actually the last verse in the book. I'll put it up on the screen. Judges 21, 25 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's Old Testament for you do you. That's what that is, okay? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so today we turn the page to 1 Samuel, okay? 1 Samuel, there is no king in Israel. Everyone's doing whatever the heck they want to do. Everything is messed up. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we hear about the birth of this little boy named Samuel. You can read about him in the book of 1 Samuel. Not 2 Samuel, sorry. Okay, but in 1 Samuel, uh, we introduced, we're introduced to Samuel. He is Israel's greatest prophet, and uh, he spoke directly to God's people the words of God. He tells them exactly what they need to do, and the people still don't do it. The people still don't listen. And now, today, in chapter 8, we're coming to the end of Samuel's life, and unfortunately, Samuel's sons turn out to be dumpsters. That's what the text told us. Maybe my vernacular is a little different, but that's what the text just said. It said they took bribes, they perverted justice, they ran for Congress. Like, that's what's going on here. (laughs) Follow me? They're not following God like their father, the great prophet, did. And now, 1 Samuel 8 is where we find ourselves. And I'm going to break this chapter. We're going to do this whole chapter. I'm going to break it down into three sections, okay? The first section starts in verse 4, and it shows us the request. You'll see this, but the request 
that Israel has. So again, look at your text. 1 Samuel chapter 8, look at verse 4. Remember, Samuel's sons are not walking with the Lord. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old, which is not nice, but they said it. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways now. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt. Remember this, there's Exodus. From the day they brought, I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is the request. The request of the elders of Israel is for a king. They don't want another judge. Okay, that didn't go so well. They don't want another prophet. His sons turned out to be a problem, okay? They don't want these things. They want a king. And it says, so that we can be like all the other nations. We want a king. But there's more here. See, what they're really requesting here is a substitute, it's a substitute. This is the request that they're making. They're demanding a king who will protect them and who will prosper them and who will fulfill them. The problem is God was supposed to be those things to them. They're requesting a substitute for God. God was supposed to be their real king. They were supposed to fully trust in God, but, but this request here, it's more, tr- it's more like treating God not as God, but as like a safety net. That's essentially what they're doing here. They're like, yeah, we want you, God. Like, we don't not want you, God, but we also want a king. We also want a king just like all the other nations. We want God plus a king. That's what we want. We want God plus a king. And when you demand God plus anything, you end up with nothing. When it's God plus something, and that's your demand, well, that leads to a whole heap of problems. Now, just historically, so that you're aware, if you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, you would find that God actually gives some prescriptions for what it would be like when Israel does ask for a king. So God actually allows for a king in the Old Testament law. He allows for a king. So the request for a king is not the problem. God gives permission for Israel to have a king, but the fault itself is not in the fact of the request, but in the motive of the request. Okay, it's not the request itself that's the problem, but what was behind the request that that tainted it. It was this God plus thing. Okay, God's not enough. We demand something more. And that's where this is really applicable to you and I. That's where this is really applicable to us today. What is it in your life that when you think about it, you think, if I have that thing, 
I'll have security and I'll have prosperity and I'll have joy. And if I don't have that thing, well, then it's over for me. Is it influence? Is it success? Maybe that's business success. Maybe that's work success. Maybe that's school success. Maybe that's familial success. Is it physical beauty or or physical fitness? Is it a certain amount of money, some cash in the bank, some equity? Is it romance, a relationship, fame and respect? Is it having kids, having your own kids? Is it having your kids or your grandkids close enough so that you can grandparent them the way you see fit? Or maybe it's something a little more tangible, like a home in the mountains. Heck, I'd take one of them. Maybe a remodeled kitchen or a new car or a solid retirement plan so you don't have to worry about what to do after you reach a certain age. What is it that you'd say, hey, if, if I have this thing, if, if this thing is present in my life, then I'll be okay. Yeah, 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 God, of course, God, of course, God. I don't want not God. I just want God plus something. Whatever that thing is, it's your plus. It's your substitute. The biblical word for that is idolatry. It's an idol. See, the request for a king reveals that Israel is not really fully relying on God. Rather, they want a substitute, okay? They want God plus. It's idolatry. That's the problem with this request. So, uh, my time off, the last couple weeks uh, when I was off, Marcy and I watched uh, a show on Disney Plus called Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Have you seen the show? Yes, some of you. Do you know this guy, Bear Grylls? Okay, um, Bear Grylls, if, for those of you who don't know, is a British adventurer. That's the best way I know how to put it. British adventurer. He's definitely British. He's definitely adventurous, okay? Um, and he was made famous by another show a long time ago called Man vs. Wild, which is a great show, okay? But in Running Wild with Bear Grylls, he takes guests, normally celebrities, and they go on the adventure with Bear, and many of them have no business being in the wild, which is what makes this thing so gosh darn entertaining, right? It's watching these guys and gals who really should not be in the mountains doing things in the mountains. Now, uh, personally, I'm not much of a bucket list kind of guy. Okay, I don't have like a bucket list. By that, I mean I, I don't have like this list of experiences that I'm kind of not, haven't done yet, but I'm holding out to do in attempt to complete my life or like whatever. Like I'm gonna do that when I retire. I don't have like a bucket list, okay? But given the opportunity, okay, I would drop everything else happening in my life to go on an adventure with Bear Grylls. I would, okay? I'm just saying, like, seriously, if, if anybody here has any sort of connection with Bear Grylls and you want to bless your pastor, all right? Like, let's just make it happen. Let's just, the best gift ever. Like, if Bear showed up right now, if he walked in those doors and, like, ziplined in here, right, and, like, handed me a knife and he's like, hey, let's go, Chris. That's my best, bear. let's go, Chris. Like, he hands me a knife. I, like, I, I'd be like, hey, is there an elder in here? Someone else is going to have to take the face mic and preach because I'm gone, right? Like, I'll just shirk all my responsibilities to do this. And now here's why. Here's why I would go on an adventure with Bear Grylls. He'd keep me alive. I've got some business being in the mountains, not as much as him. Like, I'm not going to eat, like, the eye of a goat to stay alive. But if Bear tells me to, maybe I will. All right? So, so, so he would keep me alive. He'd be like, all right, Chris, 
eat these berries, okay? Eat these berries because they're packed full of vitamins and energy, okay? <laughs> if you, you've watched the show, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And he's like, and you're going to need it, okay? Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to run full speed down this hill. We're going to jump off this cliff down into that crystal clear water. Avoid those razor sharp rocks. Even though there's a perfectly good walking path right over here, we're going to do this. Let's go. And I'd be like, all right, I'm in. I'm full on in. I bring this up, okay? I bring this up on purpose because as we watched uh, Running Wild with Bear Grylls on vacation, Marcy kept turning to me during the show and she would ask me the question, hey, would you do that? Like they'd do something, she'd be like, hey, could you do that? Do you think, do you think I could do that? And I would say, sweetie, listen, if Dwight from The Office <laughs> or Will Ferrell can do it, I mean, these aren't models of like fitness and athleticism, I think we probably could play with bear, right? Like we could do it. We could handle it. But if you watch the show, one of the things that almost every single guest does is repelling, okay? They repel. And, and this is something that I personally know about because in high school, I started rock climbing and repelling is how you get down after you've climbed a rock face outside, okay? So I started climbing. I'm from Colorado Springs. I started climbing in high school in the Garden of the Gods, okay? Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs. And one of the most fun climbs we would do uh, was a climb called Montezuma's Revenge. This is a picture of Montezuma's Revenge in Colorado Springs. It's a two-pitch climb, about 150 feet high. So it's not super challenging, but it's really fun. Really good, easy climb. And after you climb it, do you scale it to the top? You have to lean out over the, the side and rappel down to the bottom. Here's the picture from the top. Nope. We go back a couple. There it is. That's the picture from the top. And that's a rope hanging off from the top. So that's what it looks like from the top. So uh, just to, to show you, I brought, um, I brought my climbing rope in today to show you kind of what it is that you would do. So you would hang your rope. I'm not going to undo this because it would take me forever to put it back, okay? But you would hang your rope off the side of the rock like you see in the picture, and you would then clip into that rope using a belay device, and you've got your harness on. And then what you do is you kind of climb out over the edge of the rock. So you get to the edge. The rope is there. You climb out over to the edge, and you have to swing around and lean your weight back fully trusting in the rope to hold you up. And then after the rope catches and holds you, then you start to slide the rope through the belay device that's connected to you via your harness, and you slowly descend down the rock. That's repelling, okay? Now, we watch Bear Grylls. We're watching Bear freak these celebrities out with these repels, which is the best part of the show, okay? And I'm mocking them. From my couch with a bag of chips on my chest. Ha, 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 ha. Just mocking them openly. And Marcy turns to me and she asks her question. She says, well, could you do that? And in like my most masculine bravado, I said, of course I can. I've got the rope in the basement. <laughs> okay? And then I thought about the first time I tried repelling. The first time I did it with a buddy uh, and, and I got up to the top and we climbed up and I looked off that edge at the 150 feet or whatever below me and I freaked out and I froze 
And I'll just be honest with you. Before I started repelling, I just prayed once again, hey, Lord, uh, I just want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. Like, just in case. Just in case those guys in the theology world are right, I better do this one more time. I also did this move once just in case they were right, okay? But I just kind of calmed myself down, and I got over the edge, and then I started down climbing with my hands and my feet my friend lowering me down. I did not want to lean back. There's nothing in you in that moment that feels like it's a good idea to lean all of your weight out over the cliff and let the rope hold you. I didn't want to let go of the rock and trust my weight on this rope. This is a picture of what's happening here in 1 Samuel 8. See, when you're climbing, when you're rock climbing, the rope is there but your confidence is really in your legs and in your arms. Whereas when you are rappelling, you have shifted the weight off of yourself and onto the rope entirely. Israel here doesn't want to fully trust God. They want to keep some of their weight in another place. It's not that having a kid, a king, was a bad thing. It's, it's, it's that they were essentially hedging their bets here. Yeah, we want God plus. They wanted God, but they wanted to keep a little bit of control. And oh, how this is a problem for you and I. So very often, church, when things start to go janky and haywire in our lives, so very often our first impulse is to think there's something wrong with our techniques, it's, it's to think that our problem is mechanics. It's certainly not spiritual. It's not with the Lord. It's, it's something else. We just need a new church. We just need a new group. We need a new plan. Right? We need to use our arms and our legs differently. We just need a king. We just need a king. How easy it is for us to look to a new gimmick rather than to cry out for a new heart. So this is the request. Substitute. Now, the next portion is the reality. The request, and now the reality. So let's look at verses 10 through 18. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
The request was for, for a substitute, but the reality was a tyrant. We just want a king. We just want God plus this thing. But in reality, that king turns out to be a tyrant. When you have other kings besides God, those kings tyrannize you. Or to quote Samuel directly, you shall be his slaves. We just got delivered from slavery and now we're asking for that bondage once again. The dominant word, I hope you heard it as I was reading it and emphasizing thing, is take. The king will take your sons and daughters. He will take your crops and your lands. He will take the best years of your lives and he will exploit them for himself. The irony in this passage is actually tremendous. Okay, because they looked to this king to give them prosperity, to give them success, to give them joy. And what they got was a king who took all of those things. They wanted a king who they could control a little bit, and instead they ended up with a king who controlled them. They became slaves to a tyrant. And now this, as well, is true for us. Additionally, this is true for us. The God plus in our lives always turns out to be a tyrant. It always turns out to be a tyrant. For example, here's a few examples. There's plenty of them, just a few. If money is your king, if a financial stability or success or amount or, or, or security, whatever it might be, is your king, then you're always going to be anxious and worried about whether you have enough or not. I mean, when are we going to learn that that's the sociological data all across the spectrum is out there showing that more money does not equate with more happiness? It's all over the place. See, if money is your king, then you start to say, well, how can I protect it? How can I guard it? How can I ensure that there's enough there? How can I ensure that I don't lose it? What if the stock market goes up and down? I had better check my stocks two, three, four times a day. Of course you can't give or be generous. How could you give away the thing that's most important to you? That's your king. That's your God, as it were. You can't give it away. You have to protect it. You've got to protect it for the future, for your kids, for your grandkids. You must protect it for fear of losing it. And in doing so, you become a slave to it. It isn't making you prosper. It's actually taking prosperity from you. It's taking from you. If being married is your king, if being married is your king, you can become a slave to romantic love. If you're single, for example, uh, this might cause you to date people who are just a bit more questionable. Or maybe sometimes not even Christians at all. Maybe they, you don't even share base beliefs with one another, but you just can't be alone. So you fudge on your list a little bit. Romance has become a tyrant who is taking your integrity. This isn't just for single people, though. If you're married, okay, married and unhappy, married and unfulfilled, well, then the narrative starts to run, maybe I'm in the wrong marriage. Maybe I chose the wrong person. Maybe, maybe he's the right person. Maybe she's the right person. Or maybe, maybe if I just had something on the side, maybe if I just had an affair, then I'd be okay. But you're looking to an idol 
to give you what only God can. See, the reality of a substitute is that it turns out to be a tyrant. This, this will show up uh, uh, for a lot of people in some escape, like for peace or relaxation or just to decompress a little bit, some pleasure that you indulge in to reduce your stress. And listen, it may even start out as an okay thing. It may even start out as an enjoyable escape that you think you have control over, but every single one of those can become a tyrant that controls you. Goodness, I've seen it, I, I can't even count how many times with guys in pornography. It starts as a way of escape, as a way of control, as something that you think you can manage and handle until it makes you its slave. It takes from you. And I've seen it with guys, but by the way, all the stats point to the ladies that this is a rising problem as well. Drugs and alcohol can fit into this. A drink to celebrate with friends can turn into two or three or four or six or eight, and all of a sudden you can't cope without it or you can't have a good time without it. Overconsumption of TV, overconsumption of social media, swiping, addictions to our devices, all of these, I think, are pluses that we think we've got a handle on until we realize they've mastered us and they are our tyrant. They're substitute kings and they all prove to be tyrannical. The result, or the request for a substitute, the reality of a tyrant Now we'll see the result, the result. Verses 19 to the end of this chapter, and we'll finish up. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. He told them all of that, by the way. Did you see that? He's gonna take, he's gonna take, he's gonna take, he's gonna take. We don't care. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said no but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, go, every man to his city. There's some tragic words in the scriptures. I don't know that there are any quite as tragic as obey their voice. Those words are from God, by the way. God saying to to the prophet Samuel, obey their voice. They're not obeying my voice. Obey their voice. You'll always either obey the voice of the Lord or your own. There's no other option. It'll either be God's voice or your voice. God will either say, my will be done, or he'll turn it and he'll say, thy will be done. They request a substitute. The reality is a tyrant, and the result is a judgment. It's a judgment. God gives them what they want. Now, you might say, wait, wait, wait. Like, if this request was so bad, why would God ever give it to them? That doesn't seem very kind or loving or safe for the whole family. Well, you see, sometimes God will answer your prayers 
to let you learn the hard way that what you are asking for was wrong. Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> you got exactly what you wanted. And it turned out to be the worst thing for you. On the other hand, to quote the great theologian Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Oh, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. I apologize. Um. Listen, some of God's greatest mercies to us come in the form of unanswered prayers. Anybody want the things that they were asking for when they were 13? Thank God for those unanswered prayers, am I right? Some of you are mad at God right now. Like you're upset with him. You are actually upset with God for not answering your prayer, but just for a second. Do you ever think he might not be answering your prayer because he's protecting you? Like you say, well, it doesn't feel like he's protecting me. I mean, I'm still single. What's the harm of me being married? As a product of multiple divorces in my family, I can tell you there are worse things than being alone. Well, what would be the harm if I had just gotten that promotion and I made that extra 20 grand a year and it started helping me out of debt? Like, what's the problem with that, God? You see, the, the greatest blessing God could ever give you is the ability to be happy and to trust him fully without those things. And often the way that he teaches us is by withholding those things from us. See, sometimes God will give us our request to our own peril as a judgment. And then sometimes God granting our request, it might not even be a, a sign of his favor and his pleasure in us, but rather of his judgment on us. And then sometimes God's greatest kindness is not answering our prayers exactly as we desire. I think it was Tim Keller who said something like, if you were God, if you knew what God knew, you would answer every prayer of yours exactly the way that he's answering it. If you could see, you'd answer your prayers the way that they are being answered. Again, now, I need to clarify here. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to desire these things. Many of these things that I'm talking about are good things, okay? There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I really want to be married. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I really want to have some children. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I really could use a raise. I need some more money. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, the king isn't the problem. There's prescriptions for how to have a king for Israel in the Old Testament, it's not the king that's the problem. It's the God plus thing that's the problem. See, idolatry is almost always when you take a good thing and you elevate it to a God thing and it becomes a really bad thing. And church, sometimes, sometimes God will break your arm so that you'll let go of something that will ultimately kill you. Sometimes, in his mercy, he will break your leg rather than let you wander away from him. J.R. Packer is one of my favorite authors. He says this, this is a quote, still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys in order to detach their love from other things and attach it to himself. 
See, the judgment here is not a threat. The, the judgment here is a loving promise. It's not a threat. God's not trying to be mean and to scare them. He's trying to save them. He's saying the king's not a bad thing, but the way you're going about it is a bad thing, and it's going to get bad. But if that's what you want, <coughs> obey their voice. So what safety net might you be trusting in, in addition to God right now? This is a church, okay, right? I think so, Yeah says it on the sign. So this is a church, and so I would guess that most of us aren't like, I don't want anything to do with God. Maybe. Maybe. That's okay. If you're there, I'm glad you're here. But for most in a church on a Sunday morning, the issue isn't we don't want God. The issue is we want God plus. It's not that we don't want him. It's just we want him in a little security. We want him in a little bit better health. We want him in a little bit better marriage. So in what ways are you trying to climb down the rock that you're on? In what ways are you trying to keep your weight on your hands and your feet rather than leaning fully back on the rope? I can't answer that for you. But all of us have a, a God plus tendency in our lives. And the call for us today is not to God plus, but it's to trust in God alone. We have the opportunity to obey God's voice or to obey our own voice. Those are the two opportunities. I'll do what God says or I'll do what I say. Israel, they chose the substitute and we're going to see this in coming weeks. It does not go well for them. Saul does not turn out the way that they hope he will. But we have a chance to make a different choice. We have the chance to make the choice that Israel did not make, the choice of faith, the choice of trusting in Christ alone. So what's that safety net for you? The offer today is if you take that and you lay it down and follow God, you step out, as it were, in faith. You lean back on that rope completely with no controls and no conditions, no God plus, just God alone. If you do that, you'll find yourself in a different place than Israel was. You'll find yourself with a, a good, just, merciful, loving, forgiving, compassionate king. And that's something that will turn into a tyrant taking from you. But you have to lean back on the rope. What choice do you make? Let's pray together. Father, it seems that a piece of historical literature from thousands of years ago would bear very little weight on our lives. And yet, as we read this story, this text, this record of your people, we find that it's very applicable. I find that it's very convicting to me to begin to reflect on the, the pluses that are in my life. The areas where I think I would trust you and I say that I would trust you, but when push comes to, sho to shove, I don't know, that plus feels pretty appealing. That safety net feels pretty appealing. And so today, Lord, I pray that 
through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us insight to see those things, wisdom to identify those things, and the power and grace that can only come from your Holy Spirit to lay those things down. I'm guessing that there's addictions in here, struggles in here, going back to the same old things. We're only two and a half weeks into this new year and our resolutions are already busted. And so I would pray today that we would not look at a new strategy, but we would look to another king, a better king, a true king. I pray right now, Father, that choices would be made in hearts, that steps would be taken to fully trust in you that you would break us from the addiction to these pluses in our lives and that we would say, in Christ alone, it's where my hope is found. It's where my trust is found. It's where my life is found. And God, you have not called us to anything that the Spirit will not empower us to accomplish. So do that today. We ask this humbly in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.